All right. Well, we're back to looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today we conclude the first half of chapter 6. is a major milestone for us. Uh, and there are, you know, the first 18 verses have like a dominant theme. And uh, we sort of took a deep dive into prayer that diverted us a little bit from that uh, theme. And we'll come back to it uh, today as we wrap that section up. But uh, remember, Jesus is distinguishing between life with God and life in the kingdom from religion. Religion is not a God-centric uh, uh, thing. It is uh, a little more self-oriented. It's self-dependent, self-righteous, self-sufficient, uh, just self-oriented in general. And so people who live in the kingdom become dependent on God for things. Um, and chapter 6, the first half of chapter 6, and then the second half actually together deal with two things that uh, are, are really important, and they are appearances and possessions. So um, our, our approach to those things radically changes once we come into the kingdom. Uh, just as a way of reminder, so, sort of introduce chapter 6, we realize there are basically two obsessions. One of them is to, to look good, it's status. And then the other is to get more, and that's to do with stuff and security, which we'll talk about those, uh, start beginning that in June. So these are the two obsessions when you come into the kingdom that Jesus sort of uh, helps us with in chapter 6. And nothing will knock you out of kingdom alignment uh, like these two obsessions. And so uh, religion has this built-in pressure to look good even if it isn't good. And then it becomes about image control. Uh, you worry about what everyone else thinks but God. Uh, we don't rely on God to change us. We rely on ourselves to just sort of look the part. And so when we get to chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus reminds us of that danger. And chapter 7 will drive home the danger of this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You will have your reward or you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, you know, God's not in on that appearance game. So, uh, you say, I don't want to be that. I don't want to play that game. And, and it is, it's a battle for us. And so Jesus addresses the issue of status and image in uh, verses 1 to 18 by examining our approach to three specific not limited to these, but three simple acts of devotion or three disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting. Uh, secret acts that, with few exceptions, uh, stay private. And they are uh, these disciplines here, giving, prayer, and today we're going to look at fasting to close the section out. Uh, but you can see that uh, these disciplines address those issues in our lives, money, priorities, and food. Uh, 
These are daily challenges, obviously, money priorities and food, real spiritual battlegrounds for people. And all three point to deeper sort of inner issues that can easily be masked uh, masked by, uh, you know, money priorities and food. And so uh, Jesus' answer throughout this entire section, as we'll see, is to develop a, he- a hidden secret life where giving and prayer and fasting are happening or disciplines of that nature uh, are out of the view of others. Okay, it could be other disciplines too. Where you have sort of an intimate, interactive connection and engagement with God that breaks our bondage to public opinion and builds dependence on God for all of those things. And so the uh, the last part of this section ends like this. So when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the same elements here are in all three of the issues of giving, praying, uh, and, and now fasting. And so there's really nothing new in that sense. It's just another discipline with the same sort of realities, and I'll review those in a minute. But fasting is essentially, you know... Uh, Going without food for some spiritual purpose, for some length of time for a spiritual purpose. Um, now, in Judaism, when Jesus is saying this, the Pharisees, and he's calling, he's referring to them as hypocrites uh, because they, they had the practice of two days a week they would fast. That's Mondays and Thursdays. And so... Uh, and they were known to sort of, you know, look really gloomy, look sad. And uh, Jesus is addressing that issue. It could apply to any discipline. He just happens to bring up fasting, you know, along with giving and praying, because it's a really easy discipline to, to tout and make yourself feel really spiritual because you do it. Um, and... It's real easy to make yourself look miserable. Okay, that's not hard to do either. And so, uh, so it becomes one that he addresses. Uh, but the key elements of this text we can't forget. So let's set fasting aside for just a second and just think about the things that are, that are reminders of, of the other stuff. Um, again, religion is about exhibition, exhibitionism. I'm just going to flaunt what I'm doing. And so in a very sort of exaggerated way, these folks will fast, but they'll look gloomy when they do it and disfigure their faces, Uh, which is sort of an interesting thing that's going on there. But it really shows the lengths that the human heart will go to get attention. Um, You'll use anything. We'll use anything to sort of appear better than we are. And uh, there's a little interesting wordplay on disfigure your face and be 
uh, seen by men. Because it's a very similar word, same word with a little alpha primitive on the front. And so it negates it. So you basically have uh, this figure means to be invisible, to become invisible, unrecognizable. I mean, disfigure yourself so you don't even really know who you are. You've become something uh, like really amazing by disfiguring yourself. You've become invisible. By becoming invisible, you become visible. By becoming something unrecognizable. And it sounds and feels kind of like you you want people to say, well, look at you. What happened to you? What have you done? Who are you? That's the idea. And whether we understand it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, when we are trying to flaunt what we're doing, that's what we're looking for from people. That kind of a response. You know, who or what are you? And the idea here, and it's so ironic that somehow we believe that we can, we can make ourselves spiritual by doing something external like that. Jesus is sort of attacking that, that a sad face and poor hygiene, which is really all that is, is all you need to be spiritual to impress other people. And of course, it misses the point altogether. The inner self is ignored and the purpose of the activity is missed completely. And I think it's worth noticing or just noting in yourself that this is supposed to apply to us. So it's worth considering how many times do you draw attention to something you're a part of, you were at, you did, when you didn't really need to. And so these folks are making themselves look bad. By, somehow, if poor hygiene could make you a spiritual person, how great would that be? You could get up in the morning and literally, it's about looking the worst that you possibly could in order to be spiritual. Uh, Willard writes this about that. I, I think it's worth saying. He says, if we're not well experienced with fasting in the spirit of Christ, we may think that we will be miserable when we fast. If we are miserable, shouldn't we look that way? Could Jesus be asking us to fake it? And indeed, those who do not fast with God alone in view or who have not yet learned how to do it well will be miserable, as no doubt the hypocrites were. But Jesus himself knew that when we have learned how to fast in secret, our bodies and our souls will be directly sustained by the invisible kingdom. We will not be miserable, but we will certainly be different. And our abundant strength and our joy will come in ways purely physical human existence in the flesh does not know. It will come from those sources that are in secret. So really the first element here is uh, don't flaunt your spiritual life. The second one is if you do, you'll get nothing from God. He won't play that game and you basically shut him out because you're clearly not worried about what what, what he thinks Uh, so God's not impressed with that and he just flat out tells you I won't play that game you'll get nothing from me if attention's what you want and that's what you get that's all you'll get and then uh, finally he says but I can reward in secret which means 
for the person who doesn't flaunt it, but has sort of a robust secret life, they'll find something meaningful and intimate and beneficial that does not need to be flaunted and they'll be content without anybody knowing. People who live in the kingdom experience that. So uh, that's a review, basically, of those three points which are made under giving, praying, and now fasting. So I want to talk about fasting a little bit. I did a talk in the beginning of the semester, really, in September of this past year on fasting called God in Your Gut. So if fasting is something you are sort of interested in, I would recommend that you go listen to that. I'm not repeating anything that I said there. Um, but it might be uh, helpful to listen to if you're pursuing fasting as a kind of a discipline to train your body. All right? Um, but for those of you who are really not prepared to fast, you don't see fasting in your life right now, uh, or um, you're not ready to do it, I would like to put you at ease and uh, maybe challenge you in a different way. So uh, let, me, let me do that with you. So let's talk about fasting a little bit. In the Old Testament, uh, believe, this, <laughs> believe this, there was only one day there was a mandatory fast. One day was mandatory, and that was Day of Atonement. It was a really heavy day. Israel would stand outside the temple, millions of them, quiet, listening for the priests to go in and deal with their sins. It was a mournful, it was a heavy day. Eating was not even thought about. Uh, when they got captured and went into exile, there was a time when the people rallied together and said, hey, let's create a few fast days where we mourn together the fact that we don't have Jerusalem in our lives anymore, that we're in enemy territory. Uh, and then, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see there were voluntary fasts. And usually it had to do with confession of sin. I didn't eat because I'm really mournful over my sin. Or uh, I have a significant loss in my life or grief, something to mourn, something... Uh, or maybe a, a really important struggle or task that I'd like to do, I'll, I'll voluntarily uh, not eat. So uh, in the New Testament, again, the Pharisees did it twice a week, but that wasn't Old Testament. That sort of came along in the Intertestament period, and, the, and then the Pharisees, the religious people, in, uh, you know, the Jews in, in Jesus' day, Jewish leaders, uh, just adopted the two-day fast. That was not mandatory. It was mandatory for them as Pharisees, but it was voluntary. I mean, nobody was demanding that. Christians came along and said, well, uh, we'll do Tuesdays and Fridays. There's a reason for that, but I won't go into the history of that. It's not really that necessary, but you can see the Christians starting to change, and they, did it. they adopted the Judaistic style for a little while. Um... But it was voluntary, too. Uh, so um, here's, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, there's no command to fast in the Bible anywhere. Right. 
Um, and you'll see how this all plays into, I think, the themes that Jesus is talking about. That's why I want to go into this idea. There's no command to fast in the Old Testament or the New, except for that one day in the Old Testament. Um, it's purely voluntary. And it's not the highest priority of the disciplines. Uh, the Gospels, sometimes we get hung up. You know, the Gospels, you'll see a little bit of fasting in there, here and there. Um, but, uh, but not a whole lot. And you'll see a few things that are really interesting. But, you know, we get hung up, I think, on the phrase, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Remember when Jesus said that? Well, fasting's not in the original. That's a later edition. It's probably not in the original manuscript. It just says, this, this kind comes out by prayer. Fasting's not in there. Even the other gospel writers don't have that word. So you can, you can, you can lose that idea. Um, in Acts, you get to Acts, and you'll see a few people do it every now and then. You'll see Paul do it when he's converted in Acts 9, and then you'll see the church deciding on what missions who to send out on missions they, they, in Acts 13. So, so they do it. It's, again, it's a really heavy moment. And, of course, Paul's conversion was one of those heavy moments. The, the epistles don't even really, they don't talk about fasting at all. The only time you really, you have to force it into the epistles uh, to put fasting uh, in them. And, and I don't see it. Um, in fact, you can see the opposite. You'll hear in the New Testament, because food and drink was such a big issue there. You'll see in Colossians 6, this is a really, really important verse, by the way. Uh, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, what you're eating and what you're not eating, when you're eating it and when you're not eating it. Same with regard to uh, like the Sabbath, special days. It's another important verse. Um, uh, so I'll keep it up for a second. Um, again, just as a repetition, there's no command to do it. There's no real stated purpose anywhere for fasting. Like you don't get a, uh, here's the reason people fast in the Bible. You can make some deductions, but it's not a special tool. It's not an instrument to be, well, you know, if you give and you pray, and then you add fasting to that. Oh, my. You get everything you want. Not at all. It's not used that way in the Bible at all. But it's easy to think that it does. So it's not instruments. It's not a magic bullet at all. Uh, it is a response this is uh, this weekend. I actually read um, Scott McKnight's book uh, on fasting. It's just called Fasting, um, and it is really excellent. I'll talk about it a little bit more. But he talks about, and I think rightly, that uh, the Bible's focus is not on what you get when you fast. It doesn't really explain much about that. It doesn't talk about what what you're supposed to get from the fast. That doesn't really ever happen. It just talks about the circumstances in which people decide to fast. That's the priority in Scripture, Old Testament and New. And so, he says, it's a response to the way things are. The focus in the Christian tradition is not if you fast, you will get. 
But rather, when this happens, God's people fast. It's the circumstances, not the results, that become the issue. So, uh, and he says, usually it's some, and I, and I love this, this phrase, some grievous sacred moment makes you want to give up food. Something heavy in your life, which I think is clear in the Old and New Testament. Uh, there are almost times that weigh you down when, when, you, when you're not even likely to think of food because you're mourning or because you're overwhelmed or because there's a heightened sense of urgency about something in your life that's so overwhelming that food's not a priority anyway. That's kind of how it works. And I'll show you what uh, Jesus sort of makes this clear in the Gospels. Remember when the disciples of John, John, John the Baptist, come and the Pharisees say, you know, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they say to Jesus, yours eat and drink. Jesus being accused of, often accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, this is kind of funny. Uh, but notice, Jesus says to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. In other words, you have this kind of a time frame where you are waiting for the Messiah to come, because that's who the bridegroom is. Jesus is the bridegroom. So you got this big wedding event. You can't do anything until the bridegroom you know, shows up. And so if he's not there, then it's a mournful, heavy time. But once he arrives, it's not mournful anymore. We're not longing for anything. He's already here. So the longing's gone, so we don't fast while Jesus is here. Now Jesus is going to leave again, and then he says, there might be times for mourning then, and then you would do it. You see, again, you see, it's the circumstances that dictate the fast. Nothing special about the, doing the fast. You see what I'm saying? It's the circumstances. That, that create the fast. Um, so uh, once the thing that you're missing shows up, the fast ends. You know, so it's usually mourning or anticipation. Uh, fasting is just a response uh, to really heavy moments. Uh, now, I do think, because um, you might be thinking, well, is Pete trying to convince us to never fast again? What's he trying to say? No, that's not what I'm doing. So let me, let me give you some, uh, some thoughts here. I do believe fasting is a good discipline. I mean, obviously, it, 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 it can be life. Jesus envisions people doing it at some point uh, in their life. Um, and one of the reasons is because of uh, a discipline, even though it's important to note that the Bible doesn't really give you any, again, any real reason to fast. So we'll, you, we'll say that fasting is a discipline that'll teach you to say no to your body. It's just a, it's a good thing to say no to your body. Uh, and there is a connection, and I make this in the other talk, between your stomach and your soul. Now, whether fasting has to fit in there or not, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm just saying it, it, it could be helpful in that regard, but it's not mandated by the Bible to do it. Uh, 
The body plays a critical role in the spiritual life. And when you fast, you have a physical thing going on along with a spiritual thing going on. And they come together and there's something about it that is potent. When you, when you realize and don't forget that you're one person, you're, a, you're, you're, spiritual, you're spiritual in your body and you're spiritual in your, in your spirit, they go together. So it kind of helps with that regard. Um, but the scripture does not make that connection. That's a deduction. Okay? Just want you to know that. Um, really, the primary motivation for going without food would be longing or pain or you're mourning over something or there's a weighty decision that you're about to make. Uh, because it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't make anything happen that you want just because you did it. It's just a time for you to, in your body, feel. But it's really more of a moment um, that's almost too sacred to eat. You ever look at somebody and go, I don't know how they can eat right now because of something that's going on in somebody's life or in the How can you eat right now? Have you ever said that or thought it? Uh, You go, like, how can you eat right now? When I was in high school, uh, um, just, this hit me this, is, this morning coming in and reminded me because uh, when I was in high school, you know, I had a couple girlfriends and I'd become a Christian. And so I, I, I thought these were the girls I was going to marry. I was in a Baptist church. They tell you you're going to marry. It's, it's crazy. You can get all caught up in the will of God thing. And so I felt like a ton of bricks over a couple of girls and had my heart broken thinking God just doesn't care about me anymore, and I'm just dying of pain. Well, I lived with my grandmother and my aunt at this time uh, during a couple of years of my high school years, and uh, my grandmother was an amazing dying cook. I mean, I ate like a king. I miss it tremendously. Uh, and so I would come home, and, if, and, you know, my grandmother's answer to every problem was an Italian meal. What you need is to eat. We all agreed with her, of course. And so she would make this beautiful meal. And, uh, and I can remember on a couple of occasions having a heartbreak. I'd be crying, you know, because I lost a girlfriend. Heartbreaking thing. I was bawling. And grandma would make a dish, and I'd be crying while I'm eating. <laughs> and, you know, my aunt would come in the door and go, what's the matter with it? And my grandmother would say, got his heart broken today. And then she would say this, and this is the line that hit me today. And uh, it stayed with me. And she had it say it a couple of times. It can't hurt that bad. He's still eating like he's nothing wrong. <laughs> can't hurt that bad. That's what he'd be saying. And so, um, and I thought about that. She's right. There are some times when you look at a person, you go, I can't believe you can eat right now. You're bawling your head off. You just had your heart broken. How can you think of food? That's the same kind of circumstances that can happen in your life. Now, I will tell you, in our Western culture, I'm just going to throw this out there. We just don't, we don't grieve that hard like the ancient culture. We don't mourn that hard. Things bother us for a second, and we try to get over it. Maybe we usually eat something to get over it, you know. Uh, we don't want to feel that feeling. And fasting allowed them to say, I don't even want to think of food right now because this is such a priority. So it's circumstances that sort of dictated it, but the fast didn't mean that the circumstances were going to be solved by God. They just allowed you to feel it and to avoid food. Uh, So, you know, 
I, I have at certain times in my life, you probably have too, when, when food's just not a priority. And so that's, that's why you, you might say, this is, this is a great day to fast because I just focus on that. I don't even think about food anyway. And then, uh, then you might have some community focus because every once in a while, we'll, we'll, we'll have a time frame in the life of the church at the beginning of the semester and end of you know, the fall and the spring semester where we'll kind of call the church. We've done it now for a few years. We just call the church to some fast over a week period, any, anything you want to, any day or any meal or anything like that. And we'll, we'll call that and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say those are important times at Hillside. I don't even, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't need to think about food today and I'll just focus on that. That's something you can do. Um, our students will go on a mission trip every now, you know, to San Antonio every summer. And they'll very often fast for, a, for some period before they go. And it's a great reason to fast because you're mourning over the people that you're going to be serving and they don't have what you have. And so it's a great opportunity to just say, well, I don't want food to be a priority for me today either. And, and, and you just focus on that. And uh, so that's, that's a possibility. Just something consumes you. Where, where food, it just doesn't make sense to want food right now. That's really how a fast appears in your life. Now, uh, there's some dangers there. We're going to talk about them. Um, let me go back to this here. The reason I bring it up is because I don't want you to somehow feel like you're less spiritual because you don't or more spiritual because you do. You need to let that go. That's not even biblical. These two are not optional. We're commanded all over Scripture. You can't turn the pages of Scripture without running into these two realities. This, you're never commanded to do. These, you're commanded everywhere to do. You see the difference in those two? That's important. And um, I'm trying to relieve you on the one hand of a pressure you don't need. So giving and praying are like ABCs to the spiritual life. That's why we've spent so much time on them. Uh, and they should be operating in a healthy way in your life. Listen, there should come a point in your life where giving is not as hard as it once was and praying is not as hard as it once was. And you'll never master those two disciplines, but you should see growth in those. And they should become operable enough where you're not wondering, are you, are you giving well or are you praying well? you know, well, do you have, you know, healthy giving and praying world. Um, and then when you get those healthy, if you want to add in some other disciplines, and there's a whole lot of disciplines of engagement and abstinence that you can add into your life. But if these two aren't operating in your life, don't tell me you're fasting. Because who cares? You see? You see what I'm saying? All right. Um, these are not optional. And I will tell you honestly, I don't do a lot of spiritual fasts. Here and there, nothing major. Nobody knows. Uh, and I will tell you this too. I get far more spiritual mileage out of the giving and the praying than I ever do of not eating. So you want those two operating well in your life. And if they're not, don't even let fasting be on your radar. Um, you say, 
Let me, let me, let me just spend a few minutes applying this. Okay? While when it comes to fasting, food is the primary issue biblically. It's always food or drink even. Bible doesn't say that food, not eating food as a fasting is necessarily a discipline that helps you with other spiritual things. It doesn't say that. But it's probably true. If you deny yourself anything, it could strengthen you in some ways. So I would say that if you're fasting, you're fasting from food. If you're not fasting from food, you could pick something else, but it wouldn't be fasting. It would be abstaining. It would be abstinence. Just call it abstinence. I'm going to give up TV this week, or I'm going to give up coffee, or I'm going to give up uh, exercising. Anything that's kind of become an, an, you know, a regular thing in my life that sometimes I don't think I can live without, and uh, that's abstinence. That's not fasting, it's abstinence. You're abstaining from something. It's a great thing to do. It does essentially what not eating food would do in terms of developing your no muscle in your body. Uh, like one of my favorite statements, heard it years ago. I think about it every month. There's not a month in my life that this statement does not go through my life. And that is uh, the fellow who said, uh, sometimes I say no just to remind my body that it's not in control. You can have dessert anytime you want. Sometimes you say no, not because you have to, not because you're diabetic, not because of anything. You just say, just saying no. Because I want my body to know it's not in You can do that in a million different ways in your life. And it's good practice. It's good practice to tell yourself no now and then. Um, so it doesn't have to be with food. Uh, our culture has a problem with food. Okay? Uh, we have eating disorders, obesity, medical issues, uh, very much tied to food. We have physical, emotional, and mental issues tied to food. And if that's you, if that's, you know, some battle in there, then you're already, you're already in the battle. You already got a fight as it relates to food. Don't throw fasting on top of that. Um, that would be detrimental. And there's no, there's no spiritual benefit worth that. That comes from fasting anyway. Not that comes from fasting. So uh, if you have a medical issue or a physical issue, some other food issue, uh, and it's truly unhealthy for you to skip a meal. I know people who pass out if they don't eat. I know uh, there's all different kinds of things going on. Then abstain from something else if food can't be your thing. And it got me to thinking this week because um, in that book, Fasting, by, uh, by McKnight, he does a nice job, and I think it's the last chapter, of dealing with um, some of the dangers that can come in fasting. You ought to know what happens to your body when you fast just in case you're choosing to do it. You ought to know what happens to your body if you, if you don't eat, especially how it affects you personally. Um, because it's not a discipline to jump into if you haven't done that. Um, and I would strongly recommend uh, McKnight's book. Now, if you're interested in fasting, well, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me come back to that. Uh, anyway, 
If you have physical, physical, certain physical limitations or issues, I, I, I wouldn't even add it in. Now, I am going to add that for the rest of us who you might be ready for that discipline to come into your life. There's a hundred others, but if you want that one in your life, I would highly recommend you reading McKnight's book on fasting. It's really, really good. In fact, uh, reading it, I read it this weekend, and I would say that um, even if I was never, ever going to fast, that book challenged me spiritually in a really, really wonderful way that's worth a read. If you're looking for a jolt, it'll give it to you. It is very very healthy read on the whole topic. Um, so, if you are ready for it, then I would recommend reading that before you did it. Um, you might be better off than worry about fasting, just getting eating under control. You might be better off just doing that eating a little better, eating a little less. That still requires you to say no to yourself, but you're not depriving yourself of food in general. But to be able to say, I'm going to choose that over that, or I'm going to have less of that than I normally do, or anything like that could be every bit as beneficial physically and spiritually in those choices. That might have far more spiritual benefit to you than fasting ever will. Um, so if you're going to wrap up this chapter and you say, well, well, I'm not really sure whether I should or not. Where's, how do I assess myself spiritually? All this other kind of stuff. This is what I would tell you is the most important thing right now. Right now, when we leave this half of chapter six, ask yourself these questions. Have I developed a secret life with God? That has... That, that's powerful, and it's just between us. And a, like an iceberg, there's a good portion of my spiritual life nobody ever sees, and I'm really content with that. Is that you? Is that me? Um, I mean, it's meaningful enough that if nobody knows I ever did it, I'd be happy. I'd be okay. And then the second thing I would ask, and I think is mostly Jesus' point in this first half of chapter 6, is catch yourself desiring to flaunt your spiritual activity, knowledge, accomplishments, or involvements. How many times do you offer up something you're involved in, you didn't really need to. It just sounded good. Catch yourself. And maybe practice keeping it to yourself. Um, you should also know, this is really important, that if people do find out or there's a need for you to tell people, that's not a sin. That's not a sin. It's if you need them to know that it crosses the line. Not that they know, but you need them to know 
And see, that's the kind of thing you're taking to God in your secret life. You know, Lord, I really want something in here with you that's just us, and I don't really care who knows. I don't need anybody to know. And so, Lord, I feel in me, there's a lot of fibers and, and, and other kind of stuff that's in the body that really wants, that tingles when people find out I'm pretty good. Help me deal with that. Help me just focus on what I have with you and let that be enough. So let's do that. Let's just, why don't you bow your heads real quick. Uh, take a moment. And you know, the Bible talks about mourning over sin. You know, we're not, we don't grieve long. We don't grieve well as a culture. But maybe right now it's hitting you that you really don't have more under the surface than you have above it. Maybe your secret life with God is not that robust. And the only thing we can point to is what's visible. You could tell God right now, sorry about that, Lord. And worse, you could say, you know, God, sometimes I really am really satisfied with what people see and not what you see. I do get a thrill out of people knowing I've taken some extra measures spiritually. Forgive me for that, too. Fathers, we leave this section of Matthew. We, we just hear you so clearly. And the way you understand the human heart is just remarkable. You know us so well. We could easily be content with looking good to others and not you. And it's just wild to think about. Forgive us. Because we know you long to meet with us secretly. We know you long to reward us secretly. And we know how desperately we need that. We do not need attention. Just help us to remember that, Lord. In Jesus' name.